Where's the Meryl Streep action movie? I demand it. The Incomparable Podcast. Number 102. August 2012. Welcome back, everybody, to The Incomparable Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Snell. And on this episode of The Incomparable, we're going to be talking about the latest Pixar movie, Brave, which uh, came out a few weeks ago or maybe uh, more than a month ago. And uh, we're going to follow that path and probably talk about female protagonists in other animated movies and maybe even beyond. Joining me to talk about this subject tonight are four esteemed panelists. Uh, First up, Serenity Caldwell. Hi, thanks for being here. Hello. Thanks for inviting me, Jason. I'm more than happy, and also I was happy that you could provide some female representation on this episode, since Lisa couldn't make it, and all the rest of them are dudes. So thank you. Yeah. Yeah. So here's a guy who I haven't checked with the Olympic officials who are in charge of gender testing, but I'm pretty sure is male, Andy Anatko. Hi. Welcome. Well, Jason, we had a discussion before that we don't know how to pronounce certain names of these characters unless we talk about it in the Scottish accent, so... Until at least until I get tired of it, I'm going to be talking like Sean Connery throughout this entire podcast. All right, I don't. I this. Okay, I'm, I'm already I'm, sick of it. I'm sorry. I'm really sorry. Dan Morin isn't here since he does by far the best terrible Sean Connery impression that I've heard. Uh, also joining us today, his accent indeterminate is Dan Frakes. Hi, Dan. Hey, Jason. It's good to have you back. Thank you. Um, also a male, by the way, if you're wondering. <laughs> uh, otherwise he would be Danielle it would be different uh, and John Syracusa is here because this is about Pixar and where when we cover Pixar John Syracusa is always here hi John hi Jason I come by my accent honestly it's it's straight from uh, Long Island you got it yeah so we have talked about Pixar before I should say that up at the beginning and if you would like to hear us talk about um, all the many um other Pixar movies that were made before Brave and Cars 2. You know, I still haven't seen Cars 2. Me neither. No, I. Which I have finally seen it. I've not seen Cars number one. I just didn't buy the premise. I've seen Car 54. Where are you? No, I haven't seen that either. <laughs> Wait, the premise of talking cars, Andy? It's, see, uh, it's, I, I don't, I'm not, and I'm not insisting I'm right here. It's just that I see the trailers. I said, oh, isn't that funny? It's like, but wait a minute. If, why are there seats? If, there's a pl- if this is a planet like, in which humans have never existed, why yep. do the cars have seats? Don't overthink it, Andy. Exactly. See, that's, again, that's, that's what I'm, insist- I'm not insisting that I'm right. I'm just saying that it was not a strong enough concept to yep. get me to cauterize that neuron that was asking these questions of, why are there seats? It's not their best. Cars makes a whole lot more sense if you think about it entirely as a story within the Toy Story universe, ah. wherein someone is playing out the Cars story on a playset somewhere. I like that. That's brilliant. That's very good. I'm going to use that. All right. That's good. Now you can watch it with that framework in mind. Anyway, if you would like to hear us talk about Pixar, uh, Incomparable Episode 49, It's Like Working Girl with Monsters, and 50, We Apologize for the Extinction of the Clownfish. That will give you an hour and 50 minutes of me, John Syracuse, and Steve Lutz walking through our favorite moments in the Pixar canon. So check that out if you haven't already. But um, but here we're going to be talking about Brave, which is new. And I, speaking of Cars 2, I went into Brave with uh, diminished expectations, I have to say. As somebody who has loved 
Pixar movies since Toy Story and owns all up to Cars and not including Cars 2 on DVD um, and loved Pixar movies before I had kids. And of course, now my kids have loved watching those movies, too. I I don't know. Maybe it was that I had skipped Cars 2 and and was just kind of down on on the direction of where Pixar was going or what. But I, I had very low expectations going in to Brave, low to no expectations. I, I, I really didn't. I wasn't as enthusiastic about it. I went with the whole family, which was great, uh, but I, I was not sort of dragging them there like I might to some other movie that I really wanted to see. And, uh, you know, so I I don't know. I don't want to give up. Uh, we should say the spoiler for the movie. We're going to talk about the movie and spoil it. So if you don't want to know what happens in the movie, don't listen. Um, but I liked it. I'll give you that spoiler. I, I, I came out of it saying I liked it way more than I had ever expected to. And I, I can't decide how much of that is just my diminished expectations versus how much <laughs> how much I, I liked it. And we've talked about that in previous podcasts, and I do believe sometimes it's all about your expectations and whether they were met or exceeded or not that uh, influences your emotions when you're watching a movie and, and when it's over. So how did everybody else feel about um, about brave let's talk about the the film as a whole first off john you want to start yeah i actually went in with very high expectations i i finally did get around to seeing cars too and it wasn't the disaster everyone said it was but it certainly uh, like i can understand why people were dinging it my expectations for cars too weren't high but my expectations for brave were very high and, and a, a lot of it gets back to the previous podcast where we talked about uh female protagonists in pixar on, on my other podcast i talked about how that's uh, the, the, I didn't feel like Pixar was challenging itself. And right. One example of that might be the you know why haven't they had a female protagonist? Maybe it's harder to do those kinds of stories. So when I saw they were making a movie with a female protagonist, that got that got my hopes up that they were going to go in a different direction than the other movies they've done. Simply because the other movies like don't fit into like there was there's a certain formula for a kind of male centered male male oriented movie that they've made so far and they've done excellent and they've made great movies but this is this necessarily had to be something different and it could have been different in a terrible way or different in a good way but my expectations were very very high mostly because i stayed almost entirely spoiler free so all i knew about it like i didn't even want to watch the trailers all i knew is female protagonist scotland medieval thing go uh and i don't think it exceeded my expectations but i think it met them uh i was pretty happy with it i saw the movie twice in the theater actually at the insistence of my two young children who wanted to go back to the movie theater and see it again so wow. success on that measure uh and both times i saw it in the theater i i i liked it i i think it did interesting things and it really made me think about what they actually did there it didn't it didn't seem like obvious or pat or trite to me but on the same token, I also had this nagging feeling that they still don't quite know what to do with female protagonists. So it's it's made me turn it over in my mind a lot. But I, overall, I give it a thumbs up. I should, uh, as a footnote, that I think you discussed Pixar on Hypercritical number twelve and number thirteen. If the internet, way to look it up. If the internet, uh, I have an encyclopedic knowledge of the hyper of Hypercritical. Yeah, I, I do not. So <laughs> Are you kidding? You <laughs> I know every. I I've I've made a supercut of only you talking about Pixar. And yeah, anyway, it's still eight hours long. <laughs> it, it is. It's very long. Um, Bran, what did you think of Brave? I, I quite liked it. I went in with, I'd say, medium high expectations. I mean, my history with Pixar basically is that I've gone to every single Pixar film, either in a midnight release or on the day 
that the movie came out. So I'm, you know, I'm a big fan of their work in general. And I was really curious to, like many people, I imagine, to see what they were going to do with a pseudo-traditional fairy tale. Uh, and I'm all for female protagonists, especially when they're written well. And I think Merida is. Uh, she, there, there are definitely spots throughout the film where maybe it's not quite hammering home the message that I think they want. But I think on the whole, the film is really solid. It's really fun to watch. And I had the pleasure of watching it with two young children who were horribly scared at the scary parts and horribly excited <laughs> during the exciting, you know, adventure parts. And what I really like about this film and what stuck with me a few days after I watched it, I only watched this one once in theaters, which is unusual for me, but I have not been getting to a lot of movies lately. Um, I really find the mother-daughter relationship in this film, which is clearly what it's built around, but oh, yeah. they go out of their way to really solidify it in very specific ways, which we'll talk about later, I assume. Uh, but I really appreciate the way that they, you know, homed in on specific things and like, yes, we want to, we want to basically use a small, but mostly inconsequential detail to highlight a feature of their relationship. And that's that's something you don't see a lot of movies doing. A lot of movies will kind of brush over it in broad strokes and be like, yes, teenage girl rebelling from her mother. And, you know, the, they do the, the, the archetype, the stereotype. Uh, but this movie, I think, starts with the stereotype and then opens it up further, which I, which I really enjoyed. And I'm actually kind of sad that I didn't see this with my mother because I feel like... Uh, I've, I've seen all previous Pixar films with her, and I feel like that was this would have been a good one to see Perfect. with her. I, I will now enter into the official record if Your Honor uh, will let me. Wait a second. I'm, I might be the judge here. I order that this be put in the official record. Uh, a piece called Just Another Princess Movie on the new inquiry. We'll put it in the show notes. Um, and it is by a woman whose name is very difficult to pronounce. It's Lily Loofborough, I believe. A uh, great long essay about how about exactly what you're saying about how it, on one level this is the uh, the movie we sort of expect in terms of uh, princesses and her mother says you'll be you know you, one of these princes will become your husband and she rebels and you think you know where the where the arc of the story is going and uh, you you actually don't which was one of the things that delighted me about it but we'll so we'll get back to that. Um, Let's continue my poll. Dan Frakes, uh, what did you feel generally about the movie? I I went into it with pretty high expectations. Like John, I saw, um, you know, the the premise, this Scottish historical background, um, female protagonist. It's Pixar. Uh, I thought the previews were gorgeous, so I was pretty excited. Uh, I came out. I think I was pleased with it. I think it was a little bit less than my expectations for reasons we'll probably get into. Um, it, mainly because it just felt a little less Pixar and a little more Disney. Hmm. And I know Glenn Fleischman heard me say that once and disagreed vehemently. But, but he's not here. Uh. I, I really liked the characters. I thought, um, like Ren said, the, the mother and the daughter, which was clearly the focus, um, they did the characters really well. They made them they're, – they're animated cartoonish characters, right? But they made them feel real. And that relationship between the mom and the daughter – felt like the kind of relationship an actual teenager might have with just larger consequences, people being turned into bears and getting into battles and stuff. But um, 
it felt like a real relationship and I really liked that. Um, I thought that the, some of the supporting characters like the dad and stuff were kind of, you know, goofballs, which is sort of the Disney side that kind I saw. Broad. But, um, but you know, it's a, it's a movie about, about the, the, the female relationship. So, you know, you can't really feel bad about that. Um, in fact, somebody on Twitter said a couple weeks ago, they said, um, wait, you're, you're being, reduced to caricatures i would not know how that feels and it was a woman of course so <laughs> i thought that was funny yeah but um overall i thought it was really it was really it was well done and it was it was i, I want to say i i like that it exists perhaps as much if not more than i liked it itself that that there's a pixar movie with a with a, yeah. a female protagonist that's about a uh, women relationships and, and yeah. that's good that's good and it's not yeah. just a dumb teenage love story thing right right andy what about you what what did you think uh my expectations were high those expectations were met oh. uh, I, I have a i have a good friend who actually vowed not to well i would say vowed not to see this movie but he certainly didn't plan to see the movie only because he like a lot of people he saw the trailers oh dear it's a the princess being forced to marry and she rebels and oh she has to go through this whole little journey you know i bet she's going to have a singing talking hedgehog companion throughout <laughs> this little journey of hers uh and that's and we've seen that from from disney god knows how many times his but, name is haggis by the way <laughs> the singing talking scottish hedgehog is haggis spoiler alert <laughs> thank you jeez <laughs> Um, but the, the, what it is is that that's how Disney w would do that story, and that's playing the game at easy level. Pixar is playing the game at expert level, where you're 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 hitting the A control and, the, and pushing the joystick up because okay, well obviously the way for this character to get out of the situation. Oh wait, that control doesn't work because that's not easy level. This is expert level. We actually have to think. We have to actually get through. Uh, get get through the actual conflicts between these two characters and the basis of uh, how these two characters relate to each other. And what really struck me at the end, the reason why I thought it was so satisfying and the reason why I really do categorize it as up among the best of what Pixar offers is that there's a it made me it made me think about the early days of computer generated imagery where the 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 odd thing about it is that the stuff that would be impossible to animate traditionally is easy, easy as hell to animate in, in, in computer graphics. If you want to do a glass sphere, if you want to do a character that's covered in chrome, those are dirt simple for a computer to animate. What's really difficult is something that, that's simple to animate, like a, sheet, like a sheet of paper or something like that. And this is what it, it, this is sort of translates into the story of, uh, of, of Brave, where... Uh, Pixar started off making huge, huge, huge uh, impressions by doing things that are sort of impossible to do otherwise. Where here is a story in which all the t all of a child's toys come to life and they have personalities, and there's whole this whole backstory going on when you're not looking at your toys. Or another one where here is an entire world of bugs, and here is a world that's the, the planet is covered with trash, and it's all these robots that have to do the work of human beings. This is the first one in which they Pixar was had what seems it seems to be an unsurmountable challenge. They have to do a very human story where it is they could have shot this live action without much difficulty whatsoever. They could have there's only really one fantasy element in this entire story and you do and it is the you know okay spoiler alert it's when a character gets transformed Turned into, into a, a bear. bear. <laughs> and 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 I could I could just tell that you know this is the, this whole thing got greenlit. 
<laughs> when when like if, if they put that at the top of the pitch where here are the characters a b c d and e and the queen gets turned into a bear and then suddenly like the pitch stops because all the animators in the room say oh my god that'll be so funny okay first we'll do a shot which like she has to eat okay then we'll do a shot like okay we're you're, you're going forward with this movie just because you're thinking about how cool it will be to animate that character at that point but you could but you could do the if you you could actually do away with that element completely and just create create a reason for which like the queen let's say the queen the, the the merida gives her the cake that's the magic cake but it's not a magic cake she just like used spoiled eggs when she baked it and so the queen now has absolutely horrible stomach cramps she is un she is completely indisposed for like this 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 negotiation that has to happen you could really do the entire story almost exactly the same way from that point onward because it's not about the magic and it's not about the animation that has to happen when you have a magical spell going on. It really is about these characters interacting with each other and bouncing off of each other. And there is no point at which Merida sings a song about how horrible it is to be a princess. <laughs> you know, there, there is no talking hedgehog. There, the, the only thing that came a little bit close to that is the, is the, 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 the magic woman in the forest, which was very Disney-esque, although they put their own little twists on it. But uh, what it comes down to is that this is probably the most human-level story that has ever been done in computer animation. They did something incredibly difficult by doing a story that could have been filmed live-action with really, really good actors, but they had to do it all by hand through animation. And that's why I think it's a, it's, it's a real landmark thing for, for Pixar to have done. Yeah, and it looks uh, every time they seem to want to challenge themselves technically. And not only do you have lots and lots and lots of human characters, which is always a challenge because you have you have to choose a caricature style essentially because you don't want to get caught in the uh, in the uncanny valley. But um, I, I uh, her hair, her unruly red hair, <laughs> is uh, that that I feel like that. I was thinking um, on my bus ride home today about the how they always like to technically challenge themselves. Good grief. I was wondering how many guys like spent weeks coding <laughs> new processes in the Pixar animation computer system to yeah. do that hair. And because, they rewrote their animation system yeah, for that hair. For that hair, right? I mean, so that that's just like thousands of hours of programming time for for hair. But it's it, fantastic hair. This is why the bonus DVD is the is the yeah. best investment you, in, ter- in yeah. terms of enjoyment per dollar because you almost don't want to watch the movie. You want to just go right to the commentary track. And that's, that's where you find out yeah. in Toy Story 3 that the biggest technical challenge of the entire movie was finding out how to animate a trash bag. <laughs> you know, that, 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 is, that is literally true where you know, the, the, this writer just throws out this line saying, okay, and the toys are put inside a trash bag. And that, that, let's fast forward to how difficult it's going to be to like animate the trash compactor and how it's going to be to animate this fire. And meanwhile, now, like, now they have to put it into production and nobody can figure out how to do the plastic of a trash bag so it actually moves the way that that plastic moves. And everybody's tearing their hair out. It's like, oh, you stupid idiot you could have written anything else they could they, could how it about be a, a paper box? bag how, how about put them in a chrome box we're really good at doing <laughs> things that are made out of chrome well but this is what pixar does right i mean this is part of what separates it from other animation companies um i i read an article where they were talking about um they interviewed archery and physics um <laughs> researchers talking about how the the one scene where merida takes that archery shot in slow motion how they got all the details exactly right on how the arrow bends and, and shakes during yeah. the during flight. It really and, does bend around the bow yeah. like that. 
Yeah, it's uh, lots of attention to detail. You also get the sense that the Pixar guys love that. It's like, all right, we're going to do a movie about archery and it, and bears. And in Scotland, we're going to go to Scotland for a while and see yeah. some bears and learn how to shoot arrows and lots of things. And then they apply it to, to this. I wanted to talk about, um, for a moment, somebody actually in the chat room mentioned this, and I, I had the exact same thought, which is uh, one of the reasons that I think I was so delighted by the movie when I saw it was that that I hadn't read a lot about it. And the trailer, to me, seemed to be a, a real act of misdirection. And the one scene that they kept showing over and over again, which was Merida shooting the her bow and arrow with, uh, you know, to take better shots than the, her three suitors. Um, and I feel like that was really Pixar... Uh, playing us that that they were they they were actually in the marketing even setting up a, an expectation for what this movie would be that um you know that they didn't deliver that they didn't want to deliver that they delivered in the first 10 minutes and then swerved and went in a whole other direction and i loved that i loved going into that movie and really not knowing that uh it, you know that it was going to be a story about uh, a girl and her mother who had been transformed into a kind of wacky, clumsy talking bear. And I, I loved the fact that, that it, it legitimately took me by surprise and wasn't the movie that I was led to believe by the commercials in the trailer. Well, the whole movie kind of does that where it, it, at every turn in the story, not just the movies, but just the story, it, there's an event that's going to take place that you think will either, uh, heighten the tension or resolve some kind of conflict and it just doesn't uh, like it, with the ads you expected that archery contest to be something and she wins it and something dramatic happens and it's just like that's like the starting of the dialogue like it's barely even you know all of the events that would be a big turning point or a dramatic scene that has uh, dramatic changes just don't in the movie and it's like oh that the problem is still there didn't i just win the archery thing but i still <laughs> the problem still exists we haven't solved the problem and at, at every point everything that's supposed to be triumphant or transformative in a typical movie of this type is not triumphant or transformative because all of your same problems that were set up at the beginning of the movie continue to exist and they don't go away because uh the music swells and something interesting happens on screen and I, that's that's very i don't want to say unsettling but like it keeps you off balance as a viewer uh because you do expect certain turns of events to act a certain way in the movie and they just don't well, that's why I think different studios and different writers have almost a credit score when it comes to uh, creating screenplays. Pixar is really, really good that way where you'll see the trailer and you think you can – you can't help but be reminded of films that are sort of similar to this trailer. But you know that, well, this is Pixar, so if they're going to give us something that looks like what we've seen before, that's probably going to be misdirection to begin with. Although I will, I will be contrarian a little bit there. Uh, I thought that the second trailer for this movie gave away way too much because I knew exactly what the twist was going to be because they they have the, the in in the uh, the the, uh, the three mute <laughs> little uh, little brothers oh yeah uh, and then you see a shot of three little bears like okay I bet oh and that's that's why the the the, the shot of the bears trying who's trying to trying and failing to catch a salmon okay now I know what happens now the only question is does the entire family turn into bears or just a couple. <laughs> 
didn't didn't ruin it didn't ruin for me but i i thought that was okay i think they went a little too far there it's difficult you have to show the three little bears like at a certain point the marketing people take over and say listen we're showing the three we're throwing the three little bears it could be you any know, kids that's going to put people them identify with the three little bears yeah saul you're killing me here that the bears are testing through the roof through the roof we we wish we could sign all the deals that are being offered for us for licensing you gotta put the bit where uh, it's in the trailer it's in the trailer no more next, argument next pixar movie bears two yes there was no bears one well country, country bears con- and they talk and they bears. play instruments rudimentary yeah. instruments instruments so, so another way that this movie t- took me by surprise which i liked was um uh the the mother turns into a bear and i so as i'm watching that i'm thinking okay I know, again, I know where this is going, which is that she's going to be turned into a bear and they're going to chase after her and that's going to be the, the, the plot line. And what I did not expect, for whatever reason, maybe I should have, maybe this is my fault, I didn't expect that she would be entirely herself and not transformed into an animal and that, that we would end up with these really wacky and I thought really enjoyable scenes where um, where the mother is not realizing she's a bear <laughs> and discovering she's a bear and being horrified that she's a bear. And then Merida has to, has to smuggle her out of the castle. And I thought that was all, that was all charming. And, and again, not what I expected. I expected it to be, she's turned into a bear and she becomes an animal and runs off into the forest. And then they have to find her and save her from being hunted. I figured that would be the arc here, but I didn't expect so much great interplay and really mother daughter interplay between Merida and her mother turned into a giant bear, which the, the, that that was that was so brilliant. It's how, I love that so much that yes, of course, it's going to be the wacky scenes of what I'm a bear. Oh no, I can't be. Oh, my bear! Holy cats! I'm a bear. That, that and you get through that and instantly because it goes right just right down to as if like Merida accidentally like you know left her mom's hair in the curlers too long and now her hair is like all burnt and scorched and she yeah. has no hair left and now she's like look at what you did. Why, oh, for, why don't you just, if you thought anything through, Merida, these, these, now look, now we're going to have to fix this. No, no, I, it's not my fault. It's not my fault. The, the knob on the dial should be set a little bit, but it's not my fault. Well, I don't care. It's not your fault. Now, what are we going to do? And, and, and you're having this argument between, like, a, a, a very, like, angry 12-year-old girl and a 8-foot bear who's wearing a tiara. <laughs> yeah, no. It's, it's a great image. It's beautiful. Uh, I really like, actually, that it gets... It gets Merida's mother to shut up, even though she's interacting, you know, she's interacting yes, yes, physically yes. for the first time. And you notice she doesn't do a lot of physical interaction. You see it a little bit when Merida's young, but as she gets older, you don't, you see the queen become more and more reserved and she's very polite and she's, you know, she doesn't use her hands very much. It's very, you know, talking in measured tones. And as soon as she gets turned into a bear, she has the same kind of boisterous energy that Merida does when Merida's moving around and Merida's talking and things like that. So it's in a weird way, it's like they're put on the same level. And she's, I mean, yeah, you get her bring, being brought into the forest and you get Merida interacting with her in that way and like, oh, look at where I hang out with them and spend my days, mom. But you, I feel like for the first, for the first time since Merida's a little tiny kid, the two of them connect in and it all the only thing they had to do was you know take her out of a gown and turn her into an ape bear turn her into a bear although her mother's immediate response is that she's horrified that she's not ladylike enough as a bear 
which is hence the tiara and and other things that happen very early on in her mannerisms where she's trying to be dainty and realizing <laughs> that it's completely impossible and that's great because isn't that kind of a parallel with with Merida who who finds this idea that she's going to be this lady that her mother wants her to be completely impossible she just can't she can't even conceive of it there's no way she can do it so i i i am um, I, I do love that, and then of course, then through her misfiring magic, uh, the uh, the the mother and the daughter actually get to spend time together out of this context that they're in, which is the context of all of these other princess movies, right? Of you know, you have to you have to do this. No, I'm going to rebel against that, and they and they take it and they take it all the way out, which is great. They 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 put them in the forest with you've got to eat eat some fish and <laughs> follow the will of the wisp. Yeah, the one hard and fast thing that like other princess movies tend to do is that the the adults, whoever they may be, the adults in power who are telling the kid to do the thing they don't want to do, they have like two modes. They have like stern but being stern out of love and concern mode, and then at the end of the movie they have the slight softening where they say, "All right, you taught me, kid. I guess I was wrong after all." Some kind of softening, and this those modes don't exist in this movie because in the beginning we establish the characters like this is a mother that loves her little daughter and then that's contrasted with now look how their relationship has has changed and cooled and strained a little bit as she enters adolescence and then they go off into when she's when she's a bear the the it flips everything around and now you know now the mother needs help from the daughter and the daughter is forced to look at the mother not as the authority figure who's telling me to do something I don't want to do, but as another vulnerable human being with her own problems and she's the, like, the cause of like that that leveling of the playing field of like, oh, now both the movie and the protagonist now recognize the adult authority figure as also a human being right. with problems and needs and motivations. That never happens. It's always like the wall. between. It's like the, 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 the dumb adults and, the, and the, the crazy kids in a typical kids movie. This completely levels that. What I like about um, – that's how it gets revealed to Merida. But what I like about this movie too is that the um, the magic and the turning the mother into a bear doesn't, doesn't – but that makes me laugh every time. Now she's a bear. Um, doesn't transform her attitude toward her daughter. That there's a very, very nice scene where um, – you know, Merida cuts the tapestry, right? And and um, and her mother uh, throws Merida's bow yeah. in the fire. And um, what's wonderful is that her mother and you're thinking, oh, this is this awful woman. She she doesn't understand her daughter. And she says, oh, what have I done? And she realizes just how terrible this action has been, and that they've come this far, and their relationship is so broken. And I really appreciated that because. It lets you see that she realizes what these issues are before she turns into the bear. Instead of it being, well, I got turned into a bear and it made me rethink a few things. Instead, she's like she's already rethinking and realizing this is a problem with her relationship with her daughter. And it just so happens because she gets turned into a bear and has to go to the forest that um, she can you – know, they, they learn to communicate even though she can't talk. And it all works itself out. But I think it's important that the mother – realizes before there's any magic involved that they've that this has gone you know way too far and that she needs to do something yeah not not, not only not only that but again it's a it's it's playing the game at expert level not only <laughs> in, these, in these sort of movies there's also the 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 final scenes which well you're you're right little girl i keep thinking <laughs> of you as a little girl that can't make her own decisions but you should forge your own path Part of it is that Merida has to realize that oh, actually, mom had mom was mom my mother was making really really good points here. They, he, 
the, she wasn't just sort of making me into something that I don't want to be. Right. It's actually really, really essential for like the continued health of everybody who lives in this of country. the kingdom, right? That that, that 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 we maintain the pace. I didn't. I was too frustrated to really listen to what she was saying. She was trying to teach me something really, really important. And okay, let's let's find a way to to solve that problem. It, give, it gives them the the the, the grown ups credit for being intelligent human beings. Yeah, and it's it's that sense of compromise too, where she's she's about. She realizes what her mother's been trying to teach her in that scene with the 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 um, the four tribes and in that meeting where things are about to kind of fall apart. And uh, at the same time, she offers basically she's going to go and do everything and offer her hand in marriage. And her mother, as a bear, uh, says no. Right? She says says no, no, no. You don't need to do that. So there's that compromise that happens in that moment while they're miming. She's miming to her because she's that, a bear. That, that, that was br- that Beautiful. was brilliant. I, I I really wanted to like send twenty dollars to Pixar, saying five of you get coffees, four dollar coffees on me because you deserve it. With it's the the whole the whole point of her like giving that speech at least. 75% of it is simply to distract everybody so that her mother, the bear, could sneak upstairs where the ta- tapestry is so they can fix it together. But she, the, the queen squanders this opportunity because she's so proud of her daughter. And she's just transfixed and she's like almost welling up in tears at how wonderful and strong and intelligent a, a girl that she that she has raised here. And she's squandering this opportunity because she just doesn't want to miss it. And oh, goodness, that's just it's, it's, it's not it's not as tear jerking as, you know, this as a as as, a, as Jesse being abandoned in Toy Story 2. But it's up there. It'll, it'll get some moisture <laughs> what, going there. What is Andy? That's about as tear jerking as it gets. That yes. <laughs> that song, that damn song, the Sarah McLaughlin song in Toy Story Two. She loved. Oh no, we just call that the "Begin to Cry Now" song. Just start crying. Go ahead. All of you have kind of touched on something that struck me about the movie, which is that there really are no bad characters in the movie in terms of you know evil. There's, of course, there's the fallen prince, and you know who is kind of touched on, but he's really just the backstory. He's not really a character in the in the movie. Every other character in the movie is pretty much a good person. And the, the the movie is really about the relationships between good people that sometimes don't go well uh, and, and how, you know, how you can sometimes fix those. But I just like the fact that, you know, I could take my kids to the movie and there's a lot of violence in it, which kind of freaked them out. But <laughs> everybody in the movie was actually a good, you know, at heart, a good person. Yeah. Yeah. Um, also, by the way, if for fans of baseball, young Macintosh is Tim Linscombe. Not the voice, the guy is totally San Francisco Giants. Long hair, big chin, totally. Yeah, yeah. Check it out. I mean, they have that, to put in their It's an Easter somewhere. egg. It's beautiful. It's a thing of beauty. <laughs> so, Ren, you've seen a lot of Pixar movies. Did, were you struck by the fact that this was um, uh, you know, their attempt to finally tell a story with a, with a female character as the protagonist after, you know, many, many movies having not, you know, having not gone there? Or did it, uh, did it really not matter? Uh, I, or at least my opinion, is always first and foremost to tell a good story. Sure, and sure. I feel like it does not matter who the protagonist is as long as everyone in the film is fleshed out and interesting. I like seeing female protagonists because as a kid, I know, like, it was very hard to grow up and have only role models like Pink Power Ranger to be your, you know, <laughs> oh, yeah. No, I want to play Wolverine. No, you can't play Wolverine because you're a girl. Like, that kind of thing is very disappointing for for a kid. And so I appreciate it from that, from that level. I appreciate that little girls 
you know, can go in and be like, yeah, I want to learn archery. I want to be, you know, an awesome princess who saves her mother and, you know, and and focuses and, and is awesome. I I really like that aspect of it. Uh, but I think on the whole, I mean, Pixar, Pixar does well by its characters. You know, when it chooses to make archetypal characters, it usually does it for a reason. And they like to play off that, like the triplets in Brave. Uh, you get a good balance there between the archetypal roles that you might see in any other animation series and then the little twist the the pixarian flavor that they that they put to make the archetypes a little more interesting and memorable and funny in your eyes uh so i'm very glad that pixar did a movie with a female protagonist and i'm all for seeing more female protagonists in the future because i would love it if we could stop talking about, oh, yeah. isn't it novel? That- <laughs> isn't that adorable? That girl thinks she's a hero. Oh, I'm glad they did that. It's half the population, and and one of fifth, you know, one of twelve Pixar movies or ten Pixar movies or whatever it is. So, you know that that's uh, <laughs> that's really the the issue. And of course, the attitude in Hollywood against lots of evidence to the contrary that um, that uh, movies with female characters don't do as well. Um, and then there's the question of, you know, will kids well boys want to see a movie with a girl at the center of it and i can tell you that you know my son and i have a son and a daughter and my and they both really liked it and it didn't really matter that that oh well it's a girl i don't care about her i mean they cared about her and she's she's the main character and she's she's awesome and she's got this you know and her mom turns into a bear and how cool is that and it, it wasn't an issue with them i think it's more of an issue with the people who are worried about and are overthinking how it's going to play in the, yeah. at the box office it's the marketers that are worried not the little kids the little kids just want a good story and fun characters exactly so so one of the things that we've touched on briefly is that there are there are many many other animated movies that are famous for having uh female protagonists but uh the, there are lots of issues with those and you know the, obviously the disney princesses come to mind there are you know disney animated movies mostly mostly are uh female characters at the center but they are generally even called and marketed as the disney princesses and they have lots of things in common involving no mother or a dead mother or dead parents and uh, and they usually have a well. Let's see. I mean, there, there are all the different things that they need. They they're in a situation they want to rebel against. They're being a being a princess, and and they someday my prince will come. They, right. They're either put into a into a relationship that they don't want with with somebody, and they rebel against it, only to discover that the, in this case the prince is nice, or they meet another boy who is also nice instead. And you know, you can trace the story arc of the Disney princess and. You know, even in uh, recent times when Disney has tried to make movies with non-white princesses, that's their big step is that the that the race of the animated character that doesn't actually, I guess, have a race because it's animated uh, is the big uh, variation, which is great on one level, but it doesn't really change the story arcs, which, you know, in Pocahontas or Mulan or um, Princess and the Frog, you know, the, the story arcs are still not that different, even if the characters look a little bit different. You know what? I'd actually argue that Mulan in specific reminded me of Brave a lot, and that movie sort of isolationary from the rest of the Disney princess lot uh, takes on more of a I'm doing this, you know, because I want to help somebody or I want to, you know, go forward and make my own path 
and and it holds together towards the end of it. Like, yes, Mulan ends up meeting and, you know, eventually falling in love with one of the people that, you know, she's working together with in her in her unit. But, you know, she goes through the whole movie basically to to defend honor. And yes, she's defending her father's honor. So you could argue, oh, no, that makes her a weak character. But I think... Is there a dead mother in Milan? Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Her, her poor dead yeah. mother. No, her mother's alive in that. Oh, okay. Her mother is alive. I don't know um, if I've actually seen And her Milan. father is... We, I think we see her. We see her because right. she's... Kung Fu Panda she, doesn't have a mother. No. There are many, there are many <laughs> that don't have mothers. But that's but, a boy, but still. But you mentioned it already when Shang, was that the guy's name, Shang? When he shows up at the end, though, it's like you think the movie is over and she's triumphant and she's succeeded and she has all these friends and she's showed that she's resourceful and smart. And then he shows up, comes walking at the end as a huh, little girl. Oh, you forgot your role in life is to is to get in a relationship with a man. And here he is. So off you go. Uh, that it, it's, uh, it kind of undercuts it where... The whole movie was not about that, and they had this little, like, not real relationship, but kind of, like, vague, flirting, sexual tension thing, which is fine. But then at the end of the movie, after she's triumphant, he shows up going, oh, shucks, lady, you know, your jo- your role in life is to come and be with me. And she's like, oh, yes, now it's just – and her father is so proud that she's found a man to to find her yeah. desirable, and they get paired off. And I'm not – it's not as, as terrible as the other Disney movies where the princess just gets in peril, and the prince has to come and save her with a kiss and BS like that, but – it's that's the worst the the worst thing about the the disney princess movies is that all of them revolve around the idea that finding a man is your purpose in life and they never explicitly say like and to have children or whatever but it's like marriage that is the culmination of your existence and no matter how the stories end there's going to be you and there's going to be a guy and he's going to be a handsome guy and he's going to be nice and brave or whatever but your role as a princess is to pair up with that guy and that works it's not evil or anything that works because Little girls like to think about their prince coming and stuff like that. And we can, you know, debate all the different reasons why that is so in nature versus nurture or whatever. But that sameness and that sort of just over decades and decades of Disney princess movies, it just just gets tiring. And it just it really reinforces the notion in females watching it that like the path of your life, no matter who you are, what decade you live in, what your race is, what your class is, what your status is, what your skills are, it's going to culminate in marriage. And that's the end. That's the end of the movie. They never had the second movie where you've been married for 20 years and you have the screaming kids or whatever. <laughs> that's a less popular animated form. The screaming kids' parents. Well, The Incredibles well, that's the, is kind of The Incredibles, like, yeah. right. Yeah. And that's, The Incredibles does a good job of that. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. It does. It does. The Incredibles. Well, we could talk about The Incredibles <laughs> forever. And maybe... We, Very we, long time. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe yeah, we should do a whole show about that. I wanted to bring up something about going, going back to Brave as I feel yes. like I'm going to go... Again and again, I uh, I appreciate that they leave it out, uh, leave out the the possibility for Merida to fall in love with one of the people that she eventually has to be betrothed to is still on the line, but they're not resolving it in this film. You know, she doesn't even have to think about it. It's just no, that is something to decide when I am older, and it will be my own choice. Right. So I appreciate that the romance wasn't. You know, they didn't try and shoehorn a romance story into it. Yeah, like that was that was a great thing. They they, they had three suitors, and you're watching it, and if you're watching it with the idea of the stereotypes in mind, like, boy, I wonder which one of those three is going to turn out to actually be the cool one that she finds. None of them. Nope, none of them. Out. All. You, you know, know Macintosh. Sorry. The, the, the shy, oafish one that I was so put off by earlier, I'm starting to realize that perhaps there's something in this person after all. 
Well, yeah, and if it was a DreamWorks movie, the two of them would be going off with her mother, the bear, and finding something out about each other while they were babysitting her. <laughs> so John is a, a big fan, as we've covered on a previous podcast, of uh, of uh, Miyazaki, who is – and the people at Pixar are huge fans. I mean, really, if you look at the uh, the big influences on the people at Pixar, obviously Disney and Miyazaki, I think, would be two of the biggest, if not the biggest. Uh, and Miyazaki's movies are interesting because they quite frequently, not always, have female protagonists. So John, you know, what's your take on – on uh, how, how Brave handles uh, handles Merida and you know versus Disney princesses and Miyazaki's characters. I was th- thinking about ways to do uh, non sexist, I guess, non stereotypical female characters because we all know what the stereotype is. Disney outlines that very well. Uh, how do you do a story with 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 female just female characters or a female lead? that doesn't fall into those traps. And one way to do it is to do a story where gender doesn't matter. And sometimes the the cheat way to do that is to write a story with a male lead that you think is going to be exciting and interesting. That's not, doesn't hammer in on the male stuff. Like it's not about, I don't know, tip specifically male things, but just write a regular story with a male lead and then just swap the gender. And that's it. So if it was a prince, you make a princess, but just the story is exactly the same. Or if it's just it's just a person, you just switch the gender, right? Much harder is to write a story of a character living with all the usual oppressions of females that we all know from the various cultures on Earth or, or you know in our societies. Have it be a female character. Have that character living in a world where all that stuff exists. But don't have the movie be about those forms of oppression and everything. Just simply have the character not be limited by them. And that's what Miyazaki, I think, does so well with the female protagonists because they're in, they're in a world where their expectations of... Well, I'll, I'll come back to Kiki's Delivery Service. This is one of my favorite movies of all time. Yeah, me too. She's, she's, she's in a world where there are gender roles and expectations for females. And I love the fact that her friend in in the town is a pregnant woman, which... It's something that, you know, they wouldn't even show on live action television for decades. Like, pre- we can't show pregnancy, right? It's, it's an acknowledgement that, like, pregnancy is uniquely female. You're, her role model, when you know, when she's away from her parents is this woman who is pregnant. And they don't talk about it, and it's not a thing, but it's there, right? And there is the expectations of romance and the boy who likes her and everything. All the things that, that you were right. beset by. And, and the, the, the younger sort of teenage friend in the woods who is sort of a more self-actualized woman showing her... All, and she has the older woman who she bakes the pie for. She she sees womanhood in all its different phases and yeah, cycles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and all of those people are, are you know you could say they're stereotypes. They're they're in they're in the typical stages of life that we see of, of a woman, a young kid, a teenager, an older woman, a, a pregnant woman in her childbearing years. Uh, but that's not what the story is about. And she is not limited by those things. And it doesn't culminate in her getting married. And the the relationship is the same way it is when you have a 12-year-old. Like, your life doesn't culminate in you finally holding hands with that boy. It's just one of the things is out here. Uh, but the it's just, I like the fact that it acknowledges all of that instead of simply saying, uh, it's an amazing prince hero, but oh, it, she's got long hair. And so she's a girl. And so look at this. We don't, we don't uh, fall into those gender stereotypes at all. And that is very difficult to do. I think I like that. I like that in Kiki, uh, the the boy is there, like you said, who who he he kind of likes her, and you know she's sort of too busy, but he's a friend. Uh, but it's just not the point, right? I mean, it's there, 
it, it's just not it's just not the point and, of the story and she, and she is like slightly <laughs> she's she likes the boy and wants to have a relationship with the boy but feels self-doubt like the boy is used right. as a part as i think it is in real life where the kids that age are so self-absorbed that these relationship type things are really just ways for you to grow as a person and to figure out how all this stuff works and it's not so much about the other person so she she feels self-doubt and, and the, the rich friends that he has and she's not comfortable with that situation and she you know is depressed about it and just doesn't want to have anything to do with him and gets into self-loathing right but she doesn't want him to die by being dropped from a blimp yeah and, and like all of it is about how she grows and you kind of feel bad for tombo because you know he's tombo. he's always you know he's in the picture and she has these deep feelings surrounding him but does she really feel anything for tombo doesn't you know yeah. at that age it's really all about you yourself growing and not so much about the other person yeah so I, I i think miyazaki does a uh, Talk about expert levels, like the the master class on uh-huh. how to do on how to do female protagonists in the in the most interesting way possible. And I, I think Miyazaki also, to be fair, for his entire work, does all the other levels too. He's got the stereotypical females who are like the princesses who do nothing, like kind of like in, in Castle in the Sky, you know. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, and he's got the like Nausicaa, who is much more in the vein of well, there's a little bit of gender roles there and how she's treated by the village, but she's very much. Uh, similar to a prince hero, you could swap her out with with a with a male, and half the movie works, and the only one half you would need to change. All up to Kiki, who I think is the complete, you know, the the, the best movie for, for little girls I've ever seen in my entire life because it shows everything that you're going to be beset by, <laughs> and shows how you how that doesn't have to define you or limit you in any way, and how you can deal with it and overcome it. And in a movie like um, like Totoro, I mean, the main characters are are little girls, and there's a boy around too, and you know it doesn't matter. They're they're just they happen to be girls, and it's just not a big deal. And they're not they're not princesses, but they do have their magical you know adventure, and it just doesn't matter. And they act like little. They act even them when they act like stereotypical little girls. That's what, what's great about it is you don't want to make the girls who like girly things feel like that. Uh, if I like girly things, I'm somehow a failure as a woman because I should be more manly and like manly things and be like the prince in the story. Like it's okay to do all the things that the girls stereotypically like, but you don't. You also don't have to accept the other oppressions that seem to come with gender roles in society. So the girls in Miyazaki movies are girly much of the time, but like that's okay. They still are resourceful and heroic and have 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 feelings and uh, you know relationships and stuff in in ways that's interesting and not limiting and never never need to be saved by a man or need to get married at the end of the movie or anything like that can you tell we have daughters and dan frakes has has daughters too so and i'm and i'm currently writing down a list of miyazaki films that to put on my (laughs) kiki if you haven't shown kiki and totoro to your your kids they're totally safe for little kids too and are are amazing Howl's Moving Castle is pretty good, too, although it has some scary points. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't really like that one. But uh, but yeah, I mean, yeah, start with Kiki and Totoro and go from there. Ponyo is really weird, too. <laughs> really weird, but we did a whole podcast. About Miyazaki, it. Uh, like most of the really, really good storytellers out there, his point is to tell a good fictional tale and, you know, pull people in. And he just happens to use female protagonists to do that and do it well. Uh, But it's not, you know, he doesn't go into it, or at least it doesn't feel like to me he goes into it saying, I need two female characters and one male character, and I will balance this out. You know, (laughs) 
Yeah, his ratios are pretty even. Like in the movies, even if it's a female lead, there's the expected number of males and females. And also doing things that you would expect males and females to do. It's not like one half. A lot of the movies, they just cut out one half of the gender. Oh, this is a girl's movie. So all we're going to show is the moms and the daughters. And like the dad will come in for two scenes and they don't even exist. And the reverse, if it's some action movie, you know, the females are just there to be love interests or in distress and everything else is about the guys fighting, right? It's like half of the world is invisible to you and they just decide what to focus on. Better movies show males and females in the expected ratios doing the expected things. And then, you know, whoever your main character is fine, but they inhabit a world that is balanced in that way and and fits with whatever time it's done. And if it's if it's a Victorian thing and women are like even more massively oppressed than now, then that's what they show. You know, you don't don't make it look like that's not the case and say, well, I want I want to have a strong female character. So I'm going to pretend that. You know, the female, there's a female president in, in you know, 1886 or something. It's, yeah. <laughs> well, but you can still write a female, a strong female character in 1886. You just have to take a different tack from it. Yeah, yeah. because the world yeah. she's in is very, is different. Like you can't, you, you can have the characters change, but you can't change the environment. And like when you're making a completely fictional environment, you can choose what it's like. Obviously, whatever century in Scotland that you have, you have certain expectations that you have to deal with. But if you're completely making a fictional world like in Nausicaa, you can make that be to be however you want. And that can be an interesting way to defy expectations or say that, you know, even thousands of years in the future, we've reverted to uh, monarchy and typical gender roles. But that still doesn't limit this one princess for, you know, she's very, very unlike princess you would expect. Absolutely. So I can't go past uh, through this podcast without bringing up Legend of Korra, um, which aired recently and is an animated show on Nickelodeon uh, that is the sequel to a it's an anime show, but it's an American anime show or American written and designed anime show that's produced in South Korea, but shown on an American network. It's very it's. Uh, a little roundabout, but um, Avatar, the original series, right. which ran for I think forty episodes, was fantastic and had some great female characters, including my kids one love of that. my yeah. Uh, there's there's a great female character, a couple of great female characters in the original Avatar, and now the sequel, which started airing this year, Legend of Korra, has a female protagonist who, besides being an excellently written character. Uh, one of the things that people keep calling out and really that comes to mind when I watch it is you never hear supporting characters in that show describing Korra as, oh, you're so pretty. I want to, you know, hang out with you. It's always, wow, you're an amazing bender. Wow, you do all of these cool things. Wow, you're so strong. And she's not drawn like the traditional, what you would think of a traditional female protagonist where she's she's basically a powerful character in this world and can do magic type things that uh, they call bending in the universe. And she's drawn buff. She's drawn like she's been lifting weights since she was four. And they comment on that always in a positive aspect, which I find really, really fantastic. My uh, son was Aang for uh, Halloween last year. Yes, uh, that's that's a great, a really, really great show. I watched it, uh, the original Avatar, when I was sick a couple years ago and absolutely fell in love with it. Like, it is a kid's show and it is kids friendly, but it is written with such care to the universe and towards the characters that it's absolutely 
Like, I, I put it up there as, like, a really fantastic television show to, to go and watch. It introduced my kids to the idea of serialized storytelling, too, that it's uh, – the story isn't over. That what what there's in the next episode the story continues. What what what? Wait a second! I want to know what happens now. That's a cliffhanger, son. That's called a cliffhanger. Get used to it. Integrating early. <laughs> it's got to be done. It's got to be done. So, I, but I, I Rand, I'm with you uh, with you about something you said earlier, which is it would be nice if we couldn't. We just didn't have to talk about this. But you know, the fact remains that it, this is an ongoing issue. That that it in in popular entertainment, um, and as somebody who is uh a, a parent of a, a of a daughter i i notice it even more now than i than i did before that i it, you know there's a lot of popular entertainment out there that, that it really seems to be that uh that it's got to be about it's got to be about male characters because women will go see ma- movies about, with male characters in the lead but men won't go see movies with women in the lead which i think you know keeps being proven isn't true but it still happens and in the kind of stuff that we like to talk about on this podcast that's often the case too right i mean there are there are lots of great examples to the contrary which i think would you would think would prove that that it shouldn't be the case and yet nobody seems to pick up on uh, Andy mentioned before we started the, the fact that Alien and Aliens <laughs> are carried by an incredibly strong woman character, and that's an action franchise. And yet, everybody seems reluctant to, uh, and, and are supposedly making huge risks, taking these risks by having women characters leading movies, which seems insane to me. The problem here is that when you write a really good female protagonist and you tell a story that happens to have a really good female protagonist, then it's looked at by the general public as a good story. And the only people who are highlighting it as, hey, look, it's it's such a cool female protagonist. You should go look at that, are generally women. Because it's like, oh, hey, look, Finally. there's a, a character that looks like us. And, you know, ex- that, that's, that's fantastic. Uh, nice to finally see that. But the rest of the world doesn't really see, oh, this is a movie about a woman. They're just, oh, this is a really good story, and this badass, you know, woman happens to be fighting off aliens. You know, you don't, you don't, res- you don't necessarily say, just like you don't necessarily say, this is a film with a male protagonist, unless you are <laughs> in the, you know, film discussion. You're looking for good stories and bad stories, but yes, female protagonists are so few and far between. Because marketing executives and, you know, the people greenlighting these stories and the people writing these stories to put money, you know, food on their table and money in their bank accounts, you know, they write what sells. And unfortunately, even recently, what sells is either strong male protagonists, because that's the way it's been since time immemorial, or female protagonists, but the way we know that they're, you know, good-hearted and important is that all the other male protagonist or all the other male characters are like, "Oh, you're so pretty. Oh, you're a princess. Oh, that's why I care about you." Mm-hmm. Of course. Yeah, you know that you talked about like how it would be nice if we didn't have to uh if it wasn't such a big deal that there was female protagonists, but it's the cause and effect I think is is and has always been the other way. It's that there is uh, inequality in society and the art reflects that that's just simply the way it is and the reason it's an issue is not because of the imbalance in movies the imbalance in movies exists because of the imbalances in society until and those imbalances have been getting better over time on the long graph but they're still there and who knows how long it'll be until they're entirely gone i the art 
and the people who consume the art reflect that because those those inequalities exist in society because that's prevailing opinion in society and if most people think that way for good or for ill they seek out entertainment that you know matches their preconceptions and so then it it, it is a story when something goes against the uh the expectations and the fact is that the expectations are still skewed like intellectually we can all say we we know that things should not be this way uh but the reality is you know even in the most modern societies gender roles and oppression of women still exist for the same crazy reasons they've existed for you know for millennia uh, and i i think you know like changing the movies is not going to change that part it's going to come in the other direction like as it becomes as certain things become beyond the pale in real society then those things aren't shown in movies anymore and that that's the way movies will change so if you want it to ever be to the point where it's not a big deal to have a female protagonist artists can't make that happen they can help they can help by having great movies but what they're helping by is influencing society and then that will feed back into the art so it's kind of i i sometimes i feel like the the artists get a bad rap for for that or or it seems like things are the way they are because the art is being made that way when i think it's definitely very heavily the other direction the society produces the art i don't blame the artist i blame the studio i, I blame the money people for being yeah. for being cowards absolutely and for and for uh you know being well i mean cowards but superstitious too the the idea that i i'd say that there's lots of evidence that it's not true and yet they keep doing it which makes me wonder if are they being truly superstitious cowards or are they just saying you know it's easier to be to to be sexist and <laughs> to not worry about it i think the art i don't think it's the artists if they do make a movie that i mean you can go against the expectations and stereotypes that exist in society to a certain degree but once you cross a certain line then the story becomes Oh, an action movie with a female John McClane? Are we re- like that's the stupid evening news story? Like once you cross that line, that becomes the story, and that's what these executives are all in fear of—that their movie crosses over in a bad way into people aren't talking about my movie anymore. They're talking about the fact that my movie really goes against what they expect the from, from you know, yeah, from yeah, the expected gender roles. And it's it's kind of amazing to me that you know Andy mentioned Aliens earlier that that totally has not happened with Alien or Aliens. Uh, Alien didn't happen, I think, because people were accustomed to horror movies having female leads because they're supposed to be in peril and they just snuck a sneaky one by you there. Oh, she's not really quite in peril. I mean, she kind of is, but she's the one alive at the end, right? And then Aliens, if you ask a guy about that movie, they're like, oh, yeah, the Space Marines were shooting aliens. You're like, you do realize that the main character in that movie was a female and that she was the one who fights the big giant alien in the end, in the, you know, with say, saves the girl and has the big gun, you know. It, it just kind of like i don't care man it was awesome like nobody cares and like that movie didn't get the the blowback but if you tried to do basically like a movie that was like die hard but you had a female lead that would become the story and that can be good for the studio but can also be bad and that's why they're freaked out about it somebody in the chat yeah. room mentioned salt earlier i mean that's actually a movie that's a little bit like die hard cross with no way out and that's uh angelina jolie and that's right. actually if you're gonna pick your gender stereotype defying woman maybe don't pick angelina jolie <laughs> that's almost exactly the right case to make though that the way that movies get made it's not about some screenwriter who has an idea for well wouldn't, wouldn't it be great if we had a uh, had an action movie with a great uh, female uh, female hero at the center center of it it all comes down to the same uh, 20 A-list actors and actresses who can open a movie, meaning that if their name is associated with a project, the money is going gonna, is gonna to materialize. They only like to work with an, uh, a short list of A-list directors. So it really comes down to someone like Angelina Jolie saying, I want to make an action movie and I want to make a really, 
great possibly franchise launching uh, action series uh, with a female character. It happens almost immediately when, again, the A-list actress hooks up with the A-list director and makes it happen. Unfortunately, when you get when you don't when you, when you have a, a, a lack of either one of those things, you're trying to raise a hundred million dollars on a movie that doesn't have a guaranteed return of investment and that i know that i know that guarantees are non-existent in the movie industry but in terms of what will attract investment uh it's you really do need those two a-list names to make it happen so it's, it's i think it's less a case of is the audience ready for it as, as much as it is a case of how rare is it that you get uh a, 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 that if an actress actually reaches that level uh, in which they can actually command that a movie be made. Uh, it's happened so rarely, and when that happens, I don't, I'm not sure that uh, most of these actresses are interested in making those kind of movies. It'll start to turn out really quickly once we have more Angelina Jolie's out there. Where's the Meryl Streep action movie? I demand it. Okay, well, first of all, she really <laughs> kicked butt on that whitewater rafting movie. Now, that, 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 is, that is an indication towards her versatility more than the market or anything like, or anything like that, but... It's still a data point that I'd like entered into the record. She could really uh, wield a knife in Julie and Julia. So <laughs> here you go. If you're an onion, stay the hell away from Meryl Streep because you're. I'm here to chop onions and kick ass, and I'm all out of onions. <laughs> the, there's that scene in The Iron Lady where she threatens to stab Ronald Reagan. So <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> the, the only point that I wanted uh, that I, that I want to make on top of where else has been said is that there's also a responsibility to, if you're going to do a female action hero, a, a, a female action character like this, you really have to give that character the same level of respect that you would give to a male action, action hero. Uh, and this is something that came up when we were talking about the Avengers movie, where one of the reasons why uh, Ellen Ripley is such a great character is because she is imperfect. She is not a superwoman. She, you know, if you hit her, she bleeds and she stumbles and she gets scared and she. There's no way in hell that she's going to go back to that planet infested with aliens because she barely got alive out alive the first time. Uh, Indiana Jones has exactly the same these these same kind of character the qualities. She he doesn't go into a situation being the absolute lord master of all time space knowledge and reality. He goes in, he makes up the plan as he goes along. He gets punched a lot. He bleeds a lot. He, he, comes, he comes through in the end, but not after having proven that he really does have a lot of sand, grit, and metal about him. The, the problem that I see with a lot of times, especially when there's like a large cast of characters, is that I think the producers and the writers are terrified of having a, of being accused of saying, oh, well, of course, of course, they can't have this a female character who who isn't taken taken hostage at some point or has to has to be helped by somebody. Well, that's 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 what proves that a hero is a hero. The fact that they are knocked down, but then they get back up again. And this is the reason why I didn't like Black Widow and the Avengers because it was exactly that problem where she is never out, she, there's never a situation where she is not in complete command of the situation. She never gets hurt. She never knows. Uh, she, she's she's never at a loss for exactly what to do. That makes her a boring character. We need more Ellen Ripley's out there. She feels like a token to me. That's my problem with that too. It's, yeah. just, it's like, well, we need a female character, so we'll insert one, and she's not that important, but we'll insert it. But we're also, not here to talk about the Avengers. Also, to- <laughs> you're, you're, you're right. You're right. I I, I I conclusively proved the point about that movie when I spoke about it earlier. Good this point. will be this will be your fourth podcast about the Avengers. I'll just make people sad by talking about it again because they they'll have to admit how right I am. Um, where was Batgirl in the Dark Knight series? By the way, anyway, John. Um, 
in your hypercritical podcast about Pixar, more than in our uh, incomparable podcast about it, um, you talked about Pixar taking risks and where could how could Pixar push themselves more. And the very nice B. Desham in the chat room has asked me to ask you, does Brave fulfill your wish of Pixar pushing itself and taking a big risk with a movie and getting out of its comfort zone? Well, if you listen to that episode, the, the kinds of uh, risks that I was suggesting, because I did want to give some kinds of examples, were much more ambitious. Uh, and mainly I focused on thinking, like, what what is Pixar? At that point, Pixar had done, you know, hit movie after hit movie. I don't think Cars 2 was even out yet, or at least I haven't seen it. Uh, and they had these string of successes, and it was clear what they could do. They could make a great, family-friendly, heartwarming, uh, engaging movie that's appropriate for children, but that also was entertaining to adults. And they just did that so well, right? And not, I'm not saying that's easy or anything, but but what I wanted to see them challenge themselves on is, can Pixar move out of that comfort zone? Because I felt like there was a risk of them sort of going into a rut and kind of making the same movie and over again. And my suggestions were like, make a rated R movie. Make a movie with intentionally photorealistic humans doing things you'd see someone do on an HBO show. Or make a movie with no living things and just entirely robots or, you know, like really like adult entertainment, adults only entertainment, really pushing the boundaries of what's possible with animation. So I was expect, you know, I, I was suggesting do something super ambitious. And that was kind of in the service of that sort of hyperbole was in the service of the idea that uh, I was challenging Pixar to say, look, you're all big Miyazaki fans. And Miyazaki's had some stinkers and some weird movies. But I think Miyazaki's highs are greater than Pixar's highs because Pixar was kind of falling into a comfort zone and not uh, didn't seem well. It was Pixar would make great movies, but was never going to make a transcendent movie unless it was willing to make stinkers. And so I wanted to see it take risks and fail. And uh, and when they made Cars 2 and people didn't like it, people said, oh, is that what you wanted? Not really, because Cars 2 didn't fail because it was such a radical risk. Cars 2 was right down the middle and it wasn't a bad movie. It just wasn't as amazing as the other ones. But it didn't fail because they took it a crazy risk. Cars 2 is not a, any movie with a two in the title. is not a crazy risk, <laughs> right? Uh, so uh, Brave is moving in the right direction because if they're going to get them out of their comfort zone, clearly their comfort zone is is, is movies with male protagonists, right? I guess Wally's a male. Uh, and as far as robots can be anyway. Uh, and so this is moving in the right direction, but it's still very far from let's take a crazy risk. Let's make movies for and Maybe that's maybe that's something they never want to do. Maybe that's not the company they are. I'm not saying you, you have to make rated R movies or you're a failure or something like that. It's just that like I want because <laughs> Miyazaki doesn't make, you know, many movies for adults, although Grave of the Fireflies, which he was, you know, involved in is arguably only an adult's movie, really. Uh, but, you know, baby steps here. Brave, let's take them out of their comfort zone a little bit, challenge them to do something they haven't done before, and make a different kind of movie. And I think, in my thinking back on Pixar's movies, Brave stands apart, and not, not because of the female protagonist, but just, it just feels different to me than their other movies. Does it feel that way to you? It feels not like less of a kid's movie, but it feels different. Like, in my mind, the shape of it, and it had nothing to do with the lead, yeah. but just the shape of the story. Well, it is a fairy tale in the truth sense of the word. Yeah. We're not going to rely on fantastic scenes and incredible special effects. It really is going to be about these very, very real human characters, even when the humans are not looking very human during a third of the movie. And there's those those magical elements are there, but it's like it's weird that they're they're so tamped down, like because they felt the need yeah. to have animal transformation, a witch, some knights and castles and stuff. 
it, it, it is an animated movie, and I, I really do believe that every hand in that pitch room went up to say, can we do one in which she, like, <laughs> she, gets, she, she gets her head stuck in a jar, and then she has to pull the jar off, and then when she gets the jar off her head, there's like lemons all over her face. I'm I'm sure that the as much as as much as I said that maybe maybe they could have done a different version of this in which the the queen just like eats some bad dates or something, you know it's much funnier to have her turn much more funny much more visual to have her turn into a giant bear. I also wonder if the I mean some of this is Pixar pushing itself and some of this is the state of uh, of uh, animation and computer animation being what it is now that. Um, you know, the it used to be the Pixar was way out ahead of everybody, and I'm not saying that that you know the Disney internal animation studio or DreamWorks or anybody else out there has surpassed them, not even close. But I feel like uh, it's more of a it's more of a they've established this field and it is established, and there are lots of competitors out there working at uh, much higher levels than they used to, and I, I wonder if that pushes Pixar to differentiate themselves. Uh, a little bit more because they've kind of written the playbook already and everybody else is using it and they need to do some different things to to be different. I also wonder if it changes my expectations of their movies because they're no longer the only ones out there operating on this level and it's them or nothing, that there's other – the competition is greater, I guess, and I, I wonder what that does to their uh, to their creative process. I've actually developed a pretty good uh, respect for some DreamWorks movies. Uh, the Shrek movies are pretty much okay. Get, 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 that's that's exactly very much well said, well put. Um, that's my review. But, yeah, but you know, I, I I have HBO, and then so that's how I got. That's how I see saw Despicable Me for the first time. Good that's movie. Actually, a very that's a very good movie. It is good. Uh, how to Train Your Dragon, also a very good yeah. movie. Megamind. And, I'm going to rant about Megamind. It's great. Yep, uh, a, lot, a lot of these little movies that I like, and I think one of the reasons why a movie, especially like Despicable Me, works so well is that uh, it's distinguished from a Pixar movie. You 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 feel it, Pixar movies are great because they do think about every single element and how it locks into everything else, and they just hammer at that script and that story until beat for beat for beat. There is with rare exceptions, not a single wasted moment, not a single wasted page in that screenplay. But you do see like how you did you do see how much work went into it. With a movie like Despicable Me, you feel as though they get they they found the studio in in France. They said, "Here's the DreamWorks logo. Here's 130 million dollars. Come back with a movie and here's here's the property. Come back with a movie in six months." Because the minions are equal, are just as funny as the funniest thing that's ever been in a Pixar movie. Yeah. Well, they're they're the equivalent of the little aliens in Toy Story. The upcoming movie Wreck It Ralph. I think that's just from Disney proper, not Pixar. Yes. <laughs> that that looks like something you might expect uh, might expect Pixar to do. It, right? it does behind it, the scenes it, of video games. It feels like a movie that escaped from Pixar and went to Disney. Yes. I, I I don't know because I see I I worry from the trailer and this is just from the trailer uh, that so much of this is just people and. They're like late twenties, early thirties, and forties. It's like, oh, Cubert, we gotta have Cubert. Oh my god, here's a great scene yeah. for Zaxxon. I will fight to the <laughs> death to put Zaxxon in this scene. And it's, it, I, I, I just 
want I I really want to see it like opening week just to hear like the noisiest theater ever of like <laughs> all these like thirty and forty year olds telling their kids, okay, now first of all, the reason why he's holding that cherry is because <laughs> there used to be this game called Pac Man. My, my I, kids I, know I, about Pac Man, but they don't get the Cubert thing and all. And, and that makes me wonder. I'm with you. I do wonder if it's going to be like Ready Player One and be yeah. uh, just horribly pandering to people like me. But again, I I don't mind being pandered to every now and then well the question is whether or not they can still tell the story while working in all of these references like if you come to it as a seven or eight year old kid which they are presumably expecting kids to do will you be able to understand it right and i, I will we'll my kids thought the trailer was cool they thought it looked cool they thought it was funny that they know that there are different kinds of video games even if they don't know a lot of the details there's that truth in the fact that you've got your i mean they have a Wii and they have a and they have a an iPhone and or an iPod touch and an iPad and and they've seen these different games and these different levels uh you know of quality and so they kind of get like oh well that's like a fighting game and now you know this this is like a, a Mario game and oh there's a Pac-Man thing and they they've actually you know so it may work on on that level too but it does. It did have that vibe, but the kind of the Pixar vibe of we're going to take all this stuff, and I, I'm looking forward to that movie a lot. I'm I'm very excited about that movie. Well, well th- think of it this way: in terms of pandering and like the the fear, because we've all <laughs> just seen the trailer, right? Uh, oh, yeah. So we don't know what this is going to be like. Toy Story was 100. percent Hey, kids of baby boomers or similar age or baby boomers yes. themselves. Remember the toys that you played with the kid? You remember That's Army Men? Remember like remember like Barrel the whole monkeys. exactly? It was, and you could say all oh, that Toy Story movie is just going to be first of all a blatant uh, play to try to sell toys in the actual store, which it did tons of. And second, oh, it's just going to be a bunch of people going, "I had the barrel of monkeys." Oh, etch a sketch. Oh, you know. Uh, but on top of that, Toy Story was also a good movie. So right. on Wreck-It Ralph, like we have a prototype for a movie that just totally appears to be pandering and pop culture references and yet can also be a good movie. So I think that's what we're all hoping for Wreck-It Ralph. But from the trailer, it's just too hard to tell. And I don't I don't have any I don't know who's on that project. And all I know is like it's Disney animation, like Tangled was Tangled DreamsWorks or Disney animation. That was, that was Disney. Disney, yeah. Disney. Yeah. So I like there's some pedigree for for like what what does Disney do outside of Pixar with computer animation? I think How to Train Your Dragon is the best. Uh, My understanding is that Disney animation now is essentially um, Pixar two, which is not to say that they duplicated <laughs> the culture, but that it, it's like they they uh, that Lasseter and Catmull have kind of put in place the same structures of like right. creative structures and processes that they did at Pixar, except this is in L.A. at Disney, and they're not. And the rule I saw some interview with them where they said the one rule is that the people on the in uh, one place, don't get to go help the people in the other and rescue them. That they have to fix it themselves. And but otherwise, I get the sense that they've really kind of said Pixar is a bottle that makes movies up here, and we've made a new you know bottle in L.A. that makes movies. And you know, so that's the test, right? Is can the Pixar process just be replicated in another place and work? And you know, maybe so. Yeah, train. How to train your dragon was DreamWorks, right? Yeah, because that that, that has impressed me the most out of a group of trying someone trying to do Pixar because like How to Train Your Dragon like if Pixar did it, it would the, the animation would be a little bit better, the art would be a little bit better, uh, but the story was pretty darn solid and the movie overall worked very well I thought so that that impressed me and I think it was creative creative in terms of the story and the design uh, of of the characters and the dragons yeah. and everything so the 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 uh, Chris. 
Sanders, Sandlers, Sanders was one of the designers and directors in that movie was uh, the director of Lilo and Stitch, which I think is one of the best Disney uh, animated movies in the past 40 years. Right, right. Traditionally animated, no less. Exactly. That, that's, I, I, I was disappointed that we didn't see follow-ups like that because I thought that Lilo and Stitch came out like after the Pixar revolution, and I thought this was a good indication that, yeah, I, I can't imagine that... I can't imagine that story being told better in computer-generated imagery than in hand-drawn animation. This works so well. Lilo and Stitch, followed by, I think, Home on the Range, was the last of the old guard Disney animation. And after that, they threw out all of the traditional animation desks. And they shut down that division for two or three years until Lasseter, Lasseter until the back. merger and Lasseter Michael came Eisner. back. And the yeah. Princess of the Frog. Oh, yeah. yeah. We don't talk uh, about Michael Eisner. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, Laster's been trying to do a, a lot of good there. And I mean, Tangled was supposed to be 2D animation. I forget why they ended up changing it to 3D animation, but there are definitely still 2D projects being yeah, worked yeah. on there. Yeah. Well, let's, let's, well what, one more topic I really want to throw out for, for panel discussion, because the one disconnect I have had with Brave at all, and this is really going to the going to the corners of the barrel to look for something that I don't that I, I have a problem with, is that now, of course, being a Disney property, they have to lump her in with like the Disney Princesses Ice Show and the Disney Princesses you know collection of soaps and 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 and, and makeup mirrors and whatever they as they sell, and I can't think of any situation in which Merida would hang out with any of these ladies. I just I just see her like as just one empty the the, the 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 tea party with one empty chair always like where's Merida oh she's out in the woods again oh well well all the other princesses are married so why would they have their one their one single friend oh Merida we got to find somebody for you we're all also married. she's fourteen <laughs> maybe that's part of it but yeah. yeah a little bit young no I'm I again disagree with the all the Disney princesses are you know airheads who only want to get married. But, no, but but, but, no, but that's that's the culmination they, of their story arcs. They've spent I mean, some, sometimes you can look at it that way. But as as somebody who grew up in the Disney princess era, very much so, and who like played the you know played out the Disney princess thing, I know. I mean, my sister and I worked very hard to be like. Yeah, like Jasmine from Aladdin. Well, she decides to go undercover and she, you know, goes and runs around Agrabah and, you know, like... She puts on G.I. Joe's outfit. <laughs> well, but that's that's the second wave of Disney princesses, though. That that's the yeah. that, that's the modern that's Disney the 90s, princesses the where the nineties wave of Disney where, where they were where they did try to give them. Well, I remember when Beauty and the Beast came out and it was like she likes to read. That was that was a thing. So, so radical. She likes to read. A girl reading. <laughs> she looks down her nose at at good far, good hardworking farm people who do nothing but greet her cheerily throughout the day. Isn't that charming? Well, no, but they, but they did. In in there's the uh, the was Gaston, right? He, he's he's this strapping young prince type figure, and all the girls love him. And oh, but not Belle. She knows that he's a shallow jerk, right? I mean, this was this was. Beauty and the Beast is a love story. I mean, like when Ren was playing as a kid, she was playing the aspects of the characters that appealed to her. But it doesn't like I'm not saying you can't enjoy the characters, but it doesn't change that in the actual movies these characters appeared in. Their story arcs culminated in the you know marriage at the end of a a romance, and the the love story was a big part of the movie. And it's just like the sameness of like 
every movie they have to be princesses they have to get princess married. indiana just, jones just well yeah they they shove in love stories in a lot of places where there shouldn't be love stories right. but i mean beauty and the beast is a great film and i would argue you know it doesn't diminish bell's character that she gets married to the beast at the end of the film she's still a very strong-willed character i'm not i'm not i'm not hooking on that it's just that and i'm not and this is i <laughs> This is going to sound like I'm being sarcastic, but I really do mean this, like, sincerely. I'm not, I'm not casting aspersions against against Bell's character personally. It's just that I, at that era, I don't think it occurred to the screenwriters to write her as a fully fleshed-out character the way that in 2010 it would have occurred to Pixar writers to, let's make sure that Merida really has depth and feeling and meaning behind her. And so that's the reason why it's hard for me to... It's it's hard for me to see her as being cut from the same cloth as previous Disney princesses. Not not that not that there's anything wrong with uh, with with Belle marrying the, the the prince at the end. Just that you never see you don't know anything about her except for she likes she likes to read and she's fond of her dad. And then to save her dad's life, she agrees to be you know a prisoner. And then she sort of is pulled along for the rest of the story. She's not a very active character. I entirely disagree about that. I mean, it's it's her it's it's not about like the act again it's not about the little tiny you know oh she likes to read it's the fact that she is a she presents sort of strong opinions and she she forces the beast to become a better person you know she i mean she is the driving force she's not getting dragged along at all she's she is the person enacting change throughout the entire the entirety of the movie and she's the one who you know inadvertently starts a raid but then tries to stop it at the end like she's not a damsel in distress and oh i'm being locked up in this this tower guess i'll you know it's not just be our guest right i think it's also important to point out that i don't think anyone's arguing that there shouldn't be any romance or you know love interest in disney movies because for some it's the story right i mean beauty and the beast Without a love interest and a story of romance, there is no story at all. Right. I, I think the argument would be that they've done everything they can to make Bella a more interesting character within the framework of a traditional fairy tale where she falls in love right. with the prince at the end, right? It, Absolutely. They, but not break the form, just make her as, as kind of like contrary to type within the form. I think the criticism that John is making that I kind of agree with is that too often in other movies where that isn't the key storyline where the, the the traditional fairy tale or or romance story is not what the movie's about that they kind of stick it on at the end and where even when you know you've got a strong female character at the very end the very last scene is oh i found a man and i think that's that's an issue that i've always had with with a lot of disney movies oh yeah. yeah that that part definitely rubs me the wrong way and right. there are plenty of movies that do it that way. Right, but Ren, I, to your point of the the era of Disney princesses that you're defending, that was when that was the change when that that was the second wave of movies that were successful after the classic Walt Disney movies, and there was a rethinking of how the princesses behaved to make them more their own characters in a way and more active than perhaps some of the classic ones were. And so you know, but with while not changing the kind of classic story arc of these characters, so it was a step, right? And then the, what we're, what we're seeing now with a movie like Brave is that it's sort of the next step, which is to break the break her story arc too not just make her uh, a fully more fully realized character but but change her 
to her destiny. Oh, see, now I'm getting to the voiceover at the end of the movie. <laughs> it's all about changing your destiny, and that's what she no, does. No, I think the word you was can fate. Change, change your, your fate. fate. You can change your change fate. Your fate. <laughs> Change your fate, Merida. All right. So we have spent a lot of time talking about this, and it's been great. But uh, the the clock on the wall, I have no clock on the wall. The pretend clock on the wall says it's time to go. So um, this has been great. I want to thank my guests for, for coming tonight. A great panel. Uh, Dan Frakes, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Andy Anako, thank you very much for attending. It's been a slice. John Syracuse, thank you very much. Any chance to discuss Miyazaki, I'm there. And Pixar, really. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, we got to do more of this. I'm I, I starting to realize that, that we made a terrible mistake in covering, trying to cover all of Miyazaki in two episodes instead of just taking the films one by one. We can go back. Right? We can go back. Yeah, make other we people We have to go back. We have to go back. <laughs> Labor Day weekend, Miyazaki marathon. <laughs> Serenity Caldwell, thank you for being here and, and giving us a, a, a perspective that the uh, the men in the room would lack about this. Uh, you're welcome, Jason. I, I am happy to tell stories about my nine-year-old playtime any day. And Princess Indiana Jones, it's going to be a thing, I'm telling you. You bet. That's Princess all. Luke Skywalker. You just blew my mind, Ren. <laughs> Far out! <laughs> all right. Uh, until next time on The Incomparable thanks everybody for listening this is Jason Snell signing off thanks again good night it's it's pronounced Merida as far as we can tell the protagonist in Brave but then again you pronounce Mario Mario right so Something like that. Keep trying. You'll get it. Mario. Mario. <laughs> Move it's on. Like, <laughs> it's like my um yeah. My my uh my mother in law and father in law are both from New York and and uh they pronounce what? 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 <laughs> what is your problem? Just when they talk to you, maybe. What? We go to Florida. What? They pronounce Jason Doughhead for some reason. <laughs> they do. so, see it's the it's the Adirondack uh, burr that goes on to it that makes it sound like Doughhead. It's peculiar, really.